Hello again, everyone, and welcome to our third episode of the Mercer County Podcasting Club. My name is Rusty Ruggles, and we have another great episode lined up for you for the month of December. Our first segment will be with Mia Hillier, Brendan Fluette, Kirsten Benson, and Emma Melgren, and they will be talking about some of their favorite Christmas gifts as a kid. They will also talk about some of their favorite Christmas traditions, and they kind of get off topic a couple times. Next, we'll have our interview with Mercer County's own Kay Huckey. Callie Searing will ask Mrs. Huckey what it takes to be a great math teacher and what challenges remote learning has brought to her table this year. And our last segment will be with student interview Carissa Geisinger. Griffin Kernan calls in from his quarantine bubble to see what is going on with the Mercer County Art Department. Before we get started, big thanks again to Lindsay Bigley and the Soaring Eagles program for making this club possible. Also, we would like to thank Brendan Fluette for his engineering and editing of our episode. Hi, this is Mia Hillier with the Mercer County Podcast Club. I'm here with Brennan Fluett, Emma Mulgren, and Kirsten Benson. And this is the third episode of our podcast. And today we'll be talking about mainly Christmas and like all that other stuff. So our first topic for today that we're going to talk about is gifts. So like what are your favorite gifts that you've received as a kid or like in the past Christmases? So Brennan, what's yours? Um, for me as a kid, I, I liked a lot of science stuff. I liked, like, microscopes, stuff like that. But I also liked uh, remote control devices that I could make run into things and crash. <laughs> um, like, we're talking, like, uh, air airplanes, helicopters, of course, like, cars, little Jeeps. And it was just fun to uh, either chase around uh, my cats with them, <laughs> small animals, or terrorizing my family members. Like, like Brady, your brother? Yeah. You do the same, though. Oh, yeah. Um, Emma, what about you? I think my favorite gift I received as a kid was those shoes where you stepped on the bottom and the wheel would pop out. The oh, wheelies. Heelies, yeah. Those are heelies. fly. <laughs> I remember I begged and begged and begged. I finally got a pair, and I was so excited. And because we had lived in Florida at the time, we were in Chicago celebrating with my mom's side of the family. And I got them Christmas Day, and then... Two days later, we went and visited, like, downtown Chicago, mm -hmm. and our car got broken into, and they got stolen. <gasps> Did I you even get to wear them? No, they were still in the package. Oh, because oh I'd want to ask, how do you, like, engage the rolling? Because, like, I, I would feel like I would roll when I didn't want to. That's a question <laughs> I still ask myself, because I never got to Just ask for them again this That's Christmas. Unfortunate. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, they make should. them in adult sizes. I've checked. Yeah, like... <laughs> Like, I feel like I see them all over, like, TikTok, you know? Oh, yeah. Like, people just, like, kicking it in some Heelys. Like, Def, you should get some this year. That was, like, the biggest disappointment I remember. Because <laughs> I was, like, my mom was, like, all of our stuff stolen. I was, like, my Heelys, my, my shoes. Uh, oh. <laughs> um, Kirsten, what about you? Um, when I was, like, four years old... I got a Dora, like, Jeep thing that you could drive. Uh. And that was, like, the coolest thing ever to me as a kid, you know? Like, I'd go and, like, try to run over my dad. <laughs> like, I don't know. Like, That's you know? epic. Yeah, you know, like, you'd, like, chase him. And he would be like, oh, my God. Like, actually, like, pretend to be scared for me, you know, to, like, <laughs> make me feel good. I saw and I was a, like, I saw a YouTube video where these two guys, like, two adult males, tried to, like, just drive across L.A., in one of those. In one of those, like, yeah, little like fake cars. Yeah, one horsepower plastic uh, Barbie Jeep. I used to, like, throw open the hood and, like, touch the battery <laughs> and be like, whoa, I'm a mechanic. Like, yeah, that was wicked. I love that thing. I feel like we all got, like, something involving wheels as a kid because I remember this one Christmas. Oh, my favorite Christmas ever. So, so traumatic. But it's amazing. I got a pink Corvette that kids could drive. Like your Dora thing, probably. Mm -hmm. And I opened it, and I was like, oh, my God, this is the coolest thing I've ever gotten in my life. And I was probably, like, four, okay? My brother's three years older than me, but he was a pipsqueak. I was the big kid in the family. And so I got in the car, and I wanted to just drive it all around the house. And my brother was in my path. I just ran him over because, you know, yeah. who cares? 
He's why, my brother. I can did, run him over. What was our first thought to just run somebody over? Like, I don't why know. were we well, all like, let's just hit them? If we're I do, demons. if I do recall, well, now our, my parents would never have gotten me anything like that because uh, they knew that we would uh, inflict some kind of damage on property with <laughs> one of those. But I do remember my brother. Uh, I think our neighbor's kid or something had one. My brother, I think he ran it into someone's house. He either took out a fence or he ran it, like, straight in the siding of <laughs> someone's house. I love how they give us cars as children Yeah, so like, far before we should have our licenses. So how practice. old were you two when you guys got your pink or your cars? Like, like four. Yeah, four years old. <laughs> and that thing, like, went, like, it yeah. drove, like, ten miles. Not ten, Well, you were also, like, like no. <laughs> you were ten. also, like, really light. Yeah, it was, like, yeah. zoom. And I was, like. I love running over my brother. I could do yeah. it again, but it'd be, like, illegal now. I just think it's crazy how, like, they give these, like, children as small cars, and mm-hmm. they drive them just fine. Like, I have a cousin who's two, and he just got one of those, but it's, like, a John Deere one. Yeah. And he's two, and he's driving up and down a street. <laughs> I'd still drive that. Oh, yeah. That's, all that's of pretty us sick. <laughs> it'd be so cool just driving around in, like, a little car the size of yourself. But, yeah. I already so. do that with my Prius. Oh. <laughs> All right. I mean, I'm taller than my car, so I'm. Yeah. But mine's a roller skate, so it's it's fine. We have the same. We're the same. We look alike. Me and my car. Anyways, on to the next topic is like family traditions for Christmas and everything. Um, I'm sure like all of us have one. So what do you do like the night before, like the morning of Christmas, that your family just always does, or just one that you can really remember that's cool and stuff. So uh, Emma, we're gonna start with you on this one. So, for my family, we do, like, the traditional, like, you wake up in the morning and you open gifts. But the night before, we open up all family gifts. Mm-hmm. And we usually play, like, a round of, like, white elephant. And that's, like, I guess, like, that's the only thing I can remember that we do every year. We do all, like, the family gifts. But we have, like, a really large family. Mm-hmm. So, it takes a really long time. And I spend Christmas with my grandma. Mm-hmm. So, the f- days leading up, we'll always make, like, literally, like, a thousand cookies because we have such a big family. Oh, wow. So, we'll just spend all those days making different types of cookies. Like, I can't even tell you how many different types we have. And then Christmas Eve, we'll open up family gifts, and then Christmas morning, we'll do Santa's gifts. Mm-hmm. Kirsten? Um, I think, like, the coolest tradition that we do, like, with my immediate family is – all my siblings and I, we, like, do Secret Santa. Since I have so many siblings, mm-hmm. you know, we can do that. Um, so we all just draw a name out of a hat and then buy a present for them. Or um, since I have so many siblings, my mom does not, like, wrap all of our gifts. <laughs> or if she does, she does not put name tags on them. Oh, really? So, yeah, we get, like, a Santa bag <laughs> that's full of all these gifts that she just didn't want to wrap <laughs> and then she puts a piece of wrapping paper at the bottom that's your wrapping paper because she didn't want to write your name yeah. on a bunch of presents because yeah. like she literally hates wrapping presents so she's yeah. like nah that's Same. gonna be me because i can't i can't wrap presents my mom gets mad at me because she's like you need to wrap this for your brother or something and i'm like i don't know how to wrap a present like i think i'm gonna have to learn to do that once i become a mother because that's like something that's a mom thing you have to do is wrap presents, and I don't. I use bags yeah, or newspaper and just, you know, make it festive. Brennan, traditions? Well, um, before, uh, on Christmas Eve, um, we, do, we do the stockings. Mm-hmm. So we get a bunch of candy and stuff. And then all of the adults go to sleep, and the kids, plus an adult named Chris, uh we play uh we play halo we just play video games or whatever until it gets really late oh that sounds fun yeah yeah i my brother and i just we kind of have a tradition of not really sleeping before (laughs) christmas were you one of those kids that like woke up at like 5 30 in the morning and was like mom 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 get up i was more chill about that my brother was like that I was like that as a kid. Oh. I wanted those presents. I, I was, was like, like that it's too. time. Like, if I saw the sun, I knew it was morning. And it was everybody up. Like, we're done. We're Kids do be greedy. <laughs> I was a greedy kid. I wanted to see what I got. It's like Christmas is the only time a kid wakes up early. 
Well, no, that's not true. That's the only time I woke up early as a kid. Now I just kind of sleep in until like one in the afternoon until everyone's awake because no one really cares about Christmas since we're all adults in my house now. But it's fine. So does anyone have any other topics for uh, Christmas? Here, I'm going to jump in here, even though I don't have headphones on. The I had this thing as a kid where, first of all, my favorite, this is Mr. Riggles, by the way. <laughs> my favorite gift was the Death Star set up like the Death Star playset. It's three different floors. I can still see it set up underneath the Christmas tree when you got up. That was a big deal. And that's like 1978, mm-hmm. 79, maybe something like that. <clears throat> anyway, I had this thing where before I opened up a gift, I would press down on the box or shake it and I would guess the gift. And it made my mom furious. I mean, it really made her mad. <laughs> but I was so good at it. You know, sweatpants, socks, I would guess. So there was one, on Christmas Eve, we got to open one gift. Like, I don't know if you guys do that or not. We got to open one gift. And I couldn't figure out what this one gift was. I mean, I had, for two weeks, my mom had has never, to this day, bought me a video game or anything dealing with video games. So I was hoping that it was this computer game. And I'm like, it is going to be this game. I'm going to open it up on Christmas Eve. The world is going to be right and everything's going to be good. And I opened it up and it was three oranges. And I went, what? And my mom looked at me and she pointed at me with this hateful face. And she said, stop guessing the presents every Christmas. Stop it. Stop it. And I was so disappointed that the best gift in the world turned into three oranges. And we have a picture of this on my fridge of me looking so disappointed and it made me understand um that i was the antithesis of the christmas spirit at that point (laughs) i was the exact opposite so anyway that was my christmas gift like anyone cares it reminds me of that vine where the little kid gets an avocado and he's like an avocado thanks well i was gonna say uh it is technically possible to game with uh citrus fruit has been proven on youtube uh i have seen I've seen people go through Dark Souls, which I can't even do normally, using bananas <laughs> uh, as like electrodes to control their character. What do you even mean? So theoretically, an orange could be a gaming accessory. <laughs> I'm so confused by that. Like, do you use it as a controller? Yeah, basically. You have like a bunch of fruit lined up, and you like kind of hit the fruit to do different actions in the game. I'm not, I'm not making this up. wrap my head around that. Yeah, I'm still honest. so confused. You need to bring some oranges in and show us what you're talking yeah. about. Sometimes I can't even open oranges, so I don't even know how they're playing video games. <laughs> I don't even need Oh my gosh, oranges. you can buy an orange opener. It has like a little like thingy at the end, and you just slice it, and then you can pull the orange stuff off. The peel. They're so nice, actually. I'm learning so much today. Yeah. Maybe that should be your Christmas gift this year. Like the best <laughs> present ever is an orange peeler. <laughs> Or Heelys again. Yeah. yeah. Or Heelys. I'm telling you. What are Leading we, towards the shoes. What do we want most for Christmas this year? Because I haven't really thought about it since I'm, like, older now. And, like, I haven't really thought about it that much, you know? Like, what do we, what do you guys want? Kirsten, what do you want? Um, I really want a really nice record player this year. Um, okay, I, which one? Um, <laughs> I don't know. Um, I bought a Victorola last year because I was just, like, a broke child and it's bad it's those are so bad. bad the wow and flutter yeah like, uh, it 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 warbles a little you know yeah and it's gonna scratch my records and i got a bunch of records from my grandpa mm-hmm. um and like they're old like you know old like yeah. cool like uriah heap and stuff like that and i just don't want to scratch them yeah. yeah so i asked for like a nice like a nicer setup um i really I talked to some, a couple people, like, uh, record stores, and asked what the best ones would be. But they're, like, really expensive, like yeah. $2,000. Well, so, saving up my dollars. And yeah. A good one I would recommend, I roll a Fluence RT82, um, which is a, um, it's not like a Technic style. It's more of, like, an audiophile style, less like a DJ. And it, um, it has a, like, a they have a speed control rotor to prevent it from, like, uh, warbling the sound mm-hmm. and it's not it, it was pretty it's like three hundred dollars oh so, yeah that's much better than yeah that. it's it's pretty affordable and it doesn't scratch any of my records but that's worked pretty well for me 
What does warble mean? Uh, warble is like an audio effect. Sometimes it's intentional, like on guitar pedals. But when you're talking about a record player, the speed isn't, especially um, with like belt-driven turntables, the speed isn't constant. So you get this warbling effect when the sp- it slows down and, and speeds up while it's playing. Mm, okay. Well, we have a little bit of time left. Do you guys, do you two, Brennan and Emma, want to say what you want for Christmas this year or can think of anything? Uh, I, I would like, again, this is kind of me being a greedy child. I would <laughs> like an orange amplifier. An orange? You just want an orange? <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, like a, one of those little tube amps. Yeah, because you're really into guitars and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, that's super cool. Mm-hmm. I want a orange. I know nothing about amps, but that's that's cool. Yep. I'm gonna just ask for a fruit basket. <laughs> I think that'd be nice. How would you how would you wrap that? Would you wrap the fruit individually? Yeah, and then you wrap the basket as well. And I put it all together and then wrap that on top of it. Yeah. Like and it better be high quality fruit too. Like bananas. Oh, I love bananas. And, and apples. That's what you consider a high quality fruit. What? Yeah, I'm very picky. Qu- I only like apples and bananas. High quality <laughs> fruit is like those apples, that, the organic apples you get at Costco that are like in these plastic bubbles. It's like brown. <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> You're saying so many things that I just don't know. Like playing with oranges and then apples with decorations. Very confused by this conversation right now, but it's okay. The the Costco apples are good though. Have you ever had cotton candy grapes from Costco? Yes, well, they taste w- like actual cotton candy. I don't understand. No, I f- I honestly like them. The first time I ever had one, it was from Kirsten in lunch in eighth grade. She brought them to school, and she's like, "My mom got these <laughs> cotton candy grapes," <laughs> and I was like, "Kirsten, you're such a liar." And she was like, "No, really," and I just couldn't like. To this day, I can't explain to you what it's like. You just have to try one. <laughs> okay. Then mess it with your head. Just bring them in next time. Um, so I think this wraps up our episode for today. Thank you guys for being here, and thank everyone for listening to this episode. Um, this has been the Mercer County, Mercer County Podcast. This is Callie Searing back with the second segment of the podcast. Uh, today I have with me Mrs. Hucky. How are you doing? I'm doing awesome. That's good. Um, so my first question is pretty simple, right? How did you get into education? Well, the story goes that I was always going to be a math teacher because I loved my high school math teacher. He was awesome. He was kind of like a grandpa-style individual. And then when I went off to college, I I went to and graduated from Miami University in Oxford, Ohio. And I went to orientation, all set to be a teacher. And they sold me a bill about how accountants are awesome and you can make a lot of money. So I was like, oh, I'm going to be an accountant. So I changed my major. I t- got to account- cash accounting, it's called, and it was harder than you know what. Yeah. And yeah. I decided to go back to my first love, which was mathematics, and I finished out my degree as a mathematician and statistician, but I didn't have any ed courses. So then I had to go to grad school to get some education courses. And I finished that up at Ball State University, which is in my hometown, Muncie, Indiana. And that's it. That's And then I my first love, you know, back to teaching. Yeah. That's kind of interesting because our last interview we had with Jim Taylor, he was supposed to be an accountant too. I think colleges must like to suck you in with that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean... That's definitely not for everyone now that I've heard it twice, but. Well, um, I think it's a great field. Yeah. You know, and there's a lot of mathematics to it. Yeah. But it, it just was a lot. Yeah. And I like people and I didn't feel like I would get that 
people interaction with accounting that I get with teaching. I hear like accounting's kind of boring. That's like, you're going to have accountants rush after you now and like rise up and, you know, it's working with numbers. (laughs) And when you get older, I, I do like having the accountant skills that I took the classes in, but I don't know if I want to crunch that all the time, yeah. you know. Um, so with COVID, right, especially last year, how was it like adapting to like online learning methods? Um, well, it was challenging. Yeah. Um, I personally like technology. I like being up on technology. Um, you know, a new iPhone comes out. I want it. I want to mess around with it computers I've always been interested in that um I knew what I wanted to do how I wanted to be an online teacher I knew but I didn't know quite the software and how to get it across to my students when I couldn't reach and talk to them and you know if I have them in class I can be like okay we're gonna do this and this is how it's gonna be when you're at home we didn't have that we didn't have that prep time yeah it just kind of got thrown on us so You know, I found like different software programs like Cami where you can write on a PDF. And I was like, this is cool. My students would really like this. But okay, how do I tell them that when I know they're stuck at home and they barely have ever used Google Classroom before? So that was the frustrating part on me was I was ready, but I knew my students weren't ready. Yeah. And so I spent all summer like researching. I bought me an iPad. I was ready to go hit the ground running. And that's where I'm at right now. I'm hitting the ground running. Um, I'm not going to let a virus keep me from teaching math. That's good. Because, like, the rumor is that we're probably, like, going to shut down here pretty soon. But Yeah, we all smell it. We don't really know for sure. But at least the teachers have prep time. I'm ready to go. I I mean, now I feel like there's no reason why my students can't learn. Yeah. In the spring, oh, that was killer. That was awful. You know, so I spent, yeah, it was awful. It was awful for everybody. And we're sitting there and I, you know, you hear from one student at two in the morning, a a little email, hey, I'm working out here, you know, and then (laughs) you wouldn't hear from them again for another week. Now there's no excuses. Yeah. You know, we've got kids that are full remote doing awesome job of being full remote students, getting their work turned in. And they know how to do it. And then we've got kids that are kind of ghosting us. And it's like, hmm. Mm. And, and there's no excuse. We know there's yeah, no excuse that's now. On them. That's yeah, on it them. is on them. It really is. And then we have kids coming to school and we're like, yeah, let's go. And then we all smell it. Smell that? That's remote coming. <laughs> you know, it's like smelling the turkey for Thanksgiving that's coming here. Yep. Smell it. And then we know the after is the nap into full remote or some form of full remote and none of us want it that come to school every day because we like the interaction. I like to see people, you know, it's a lot easier for me at least to like learn in person than on online. Cause like you can ask questions so much easier. Exactly. It's like face to face and like, and Google me. I have prided myself, which is, you know, pride cometh before the fall. They say with doing very few Google meets and, you know, bless Griffin Kernan, shout out to him. He wanted to Google meet with me. And I'm like, oh, yeah, okay. And I did it and it was awesome, but it was, it still wasn't the same. Yeah. You know, you just don't, that eye contact that when you're in person, you don't get it through Google meet. It must be something with the screen. I have no idea. So I, I'm trying, you know, I'll, I'll do a Google meet, but I get really sweaty beforehand. <laughs> <laughs> so. I think I might already know the answer to this, but what do you think is your like most difficult class to teach? Oh, my most difficult class to teach. My most difficult class to teach. Uh, I can tell you what class I would not want to teach is pre-algebra. Oh, I yeah. could never yeah. teach someone how to add. Um, I assume they already know it when they get to me and bless the teachers that teach kids how to add, Yeah, you know, um, I do think teaching AP calculus is challenging for me. 
I don't know if it's the hardest class I teach because I'm very passionate about it. So yeah. I just get that flow going and, you know, the look in the student's eyes are like, is she going to stop doing what she's doing? And the answer <laughs> is no, because I'm very passionate about it. You just keep going. Yeah, I just keep going. And, and I have to stop myself sometimes. Sometimes pre-calculus is hard. Yeah. Because the kids don't always see where it's headed, you know, and I know they need the skill to do the AP calculus. And so sometimes that's hard to convey to them. Hey, you really do need this. Trust me, building that trust that kids um, believe what I say is accurate, um, that they are going to need it. And then they find out when they graduate, they never needed it. I, you know, I mean, that it's difficult. And then sometimes stats is hard because it is, it's not your typical math class. Because the problems are, like, we talk about cats and dogs and yeah. weird things in there. And, and kids are like, how is this stats? And I'm like, well, it totally is. And then I, we do a problem. It's like, oh, yeah, that is math. And we could talk about anything and turn it into statistics, which is awesome. Yeah. After I took uh, pre-calc last year, I had the idea of doing AP Calc. But I'm kind of glad I didn't take it because I don't want to cry. Um, You've heard the rumors. <laughs> yes. You've heard the rumors. Yes. Everybody sheds a tear over an AP class. That's like a part of the curriculum. Nobody tells you that, but down at the bottom, you know, the disclaimer is thou shalt make every student cry at some point. And it's not that you want them sad. It's that you're challenging them in yeah. to stretch. And sometimes students don't want to stretch. their. They, they want it to be easy. They want to hear it one time. Oh, I got it. And, and they hear it, and then one time they got it. And that's not this type of it's curriculum. It's not going to work that way. It's not going to work that way. And when you get it, then I can do even harder stuff. Yeah. So it's like you get it, you're not done. We've got harder stuff to add on to that, so you never get it. It just keeps going up from there. Yeah. And and every person that I've ever taught AP to has said that. that They're glad they took it, but it was one of the hardest things they had to get through Yeah. was that not being ever done not being ever perfect at it yeah and like one of my friends is in that class okay she she's told me before like there's only six people in there now you've limited it down to you know i'm going to be able to guess who you're talking about here well she told me that you never really get a definite answer and like you don't really know if it's ever right and you just (laughs) you just hope it is right it's more of discovery. Yeah. Um, and the expectation level is very high there that like, if you come in and ask a question, I'm not going to teach you how to add. So like, if your question is on step number two, that might be the addition step. So I'm not going to answer that question. I'm going to talk to you about the end of the problem, which is where the calculus is. Yes. Cause that's what the course is. And the problem is, is, we have COVID brain that we've all sat through where there's that loss of information because we stayed in our snuggly bed for three weeks and surfaced maybe two times to get a snack. And so we forgot those skills and I'm not going to go back and teach those skills. <laughs> you know, I'm going to make you dig deeper and do research on your own, which um, I found in high school kids like to be fed a lot. And I expect you to pick up the spoon yourself and dig in, you know, and there's nothing wrong with that, but it's just, you know, you're not going to come in and you look at it. Is that right? Well, I don't know. Does it look right to you? You know, and that's that unsure, you know, it looks good to me. Yep. I think that's good. Then you get your paper back. It's like minus 25 points because it wasn't thorough enough. So you teach. Pre-calculus, mm-hmm. AP Calc, yep. statistics, yes, and robotics. Oh, yeah, robotics. And oh, I robotics. I took that class last year. It was a tough class for you, don't you think? Well, it's because I didn't have a partner to work with. Yeah, like, you were out there on your lonesome. the semester. Yeah. yeah. And I did fine. Like, Oh, I thought you did fine. I yeah. thought you did great. Working on your own in a class like that, you don't have anybody to feed and bump ideas off of, which, you know... Every once in a while, I'd be like, hey, you know, and then you know, because you're, you're a pretty decisive person. You want to do things the way you want to do them, yeah. you know. And I have only three students in that class this semester, which really I know people should take that course. It's fun. It is fun. I have one person that's fully remote 
Um, very hard to do robotics fully remote. Yeah. That's not going to happen next semester. We're not going to have any fully remote robotics students. Um, and then I have two in there and they work singly. And so I've kind of tried to fill in the void of being their quasi partner, but not a partner like, Hey, why isn't this working? Hey, I think you need more weight back here on this. So it will run better or stuff like that. But yeah, there's all kinds of pieces for them to work, you know, get that stair climber still climbing a stair. Oh yeah. Yeah. What do you think is like the most interesting robot that someone has built in that class ever? A Segway. A Segway. I had two boys build a Segway. And it had handbrakes where they used a touch sensor to make it stop and go. And then made a handle. And then the motors ran. The The downs, the upside was it was a Segway and it ran. Yes. It was awesome. And your, your eyes lit up and you were like, a Segway? And I was yeah. like, yeah, a Segway. The downside was it was made out of Lego metal. So it had to be the smallest person, not myself, possible <laughs> to ride on that Segway because of the weight. Who rode on it? Uh, the Wix boy, who was part of the inventor. He's shorter, maybe, in stature, and so he could fit on it. I don't and, know who that is. <laughs> yes. And um, that was a good project. Uh, the Snyder twins, uh, Mrs. Snyder, the secretary here, yeah. uh, her boys were in it. They built kind of a go-kart. And we, again, yeah, your yeah. eyes light up a go-kart. Yes. How? But the smallest student ever had to ride on it. So we found, you know, a, a Maddie um, Magadance. Yeah. And... You know, she's a smaller person and she was able to, she's like, come on, come here, get out. I got her out of a class, like English. Come on, get out of English. Go ride on a. Go ride on a go-kart. Exactly. For a project. Yes. <laughs> and it worked. I wouldn't even imagine, like, you have enough materials, like, to just build that. And, like, how long would that even take? That took them, that, that, that took them, you know, a majority of the semester. So, I mean. These projects, the kids took the class one time and then they're like, hey, can I take the class again? And I'm like, only if you do something really grandioso. Yeah. You know, then you can take it again. And then they just sit on that semester. Um, Jill Palmer was in it one yeah. semester and she catted and 3D printed handlebars, you know, which was really cool because that was the tie in between the shop class with the 3D catting and yeah. then the robotics. And I mean, that could just explode. That's cool. Yeah, it was very cool. I know. I was like, this is cool. And she took the measurements because Legos are all in metric yeah. and made sure it fit and, and all. It was very cool. So, yeah, but it took her more than the semester class that yeah. you took. Yeah. Obviously. Yeah. I, you'd have to work on that for so long every day. You know, anything worthwhile. Yeah. I is I not going to be. That is not going to be instantaneous. I think that's something that our society, we get gratification. We want it through a drive-through. Yeah. We want an instant gratification and anything that's really worthwhile is not instant. It, you want to savor it. Oh yeah. You know, and take your time with it and enjoy the process. And, and in that, enjoy the mistakes along with the, with the successes. There's Life Lessons by Kay Huggy. Okay, so last question. Mm -hmm. You have two daughters. I have two daughters. One graduated last year. Lillian. What is it like to be a mother and a teacher? Uh, I think it was hard for us at first. I think it was harder on the girls than it was on me. Yeah. Because I'm going to be who I'm going to be. We know that. My students know that. Definitely. I'm very, um, like, who I am is who I am. I am not different in a podcast than, I'm, than I am in the classroom than I am at home. So how I talk in the classroom is how I talk at home. Okay. Um, I think they worried about getting embarrassed, and it happened, and it still happens. I have Olivia in class, my youngest daughter in class, 
and I get the look and I can read her eyes. I, you know, mask up, but I can read her eyes. Um, today I got the look like, stop talking. You're embarrassing me. And it doesn't stop me. You know, I keep talking. Um, but I think it's hard. I don't know that they hear a lot of, I'm not sure that they hear a lot of pressure. Like your mom gave a really hard test and your mom sucks. (laughs) I don't know that they hear that. Um, but I know there is pressure there. Um, about, you know, your mom, your mom, yeah, like in different situations, but they never have said, we wish you weren't a teacher in my school. We've never had that come out. Cause then, you know, the answer to that is like too bad. I'm a teacher, you know, it's <laughs> too bad. So sad, you suck know, get up. over. Yeah. Suck it up. Right. But I, there are times where they're just like, don't, please don't talk about this in your class. <laughs> and so mm, I weigh in on that. Like, should I, or should I not? Usually don't, you know, I try not oh, to, yeah. Oh yeah. you know, but some stories are just funny. <laughs> you know, sometimes you got to talk about the cat. Okay. So that is all the time we have for today. Thank you for coming in and on to the student section. Well, I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Hello and welcome back to the pod. I'm Griffin Kernan, live from the bubble. And today, I have a very unique and still very special interview. As you may or may not know, this episode was recorded during COVID time. And as an unfortunate product of those times, I am stuck in quarantine during the recording of this episode. I hope to return to the studio and the big mic in next month's episode. But never fear, because despite these changes, we are still going to have a tremendous interview with a very talented young lady. She is the talented artist of several pieces featured at galas across the region and the state, some of them award-winning pieces, and is currently a top student in the MCHS Advanced Placement Art Program, as well as possessing an exemplary academic record overall. To shed light on the mysterious and beautiful world of art, please welcome friend of the pod, Krista Geisinger. Thank you for having me. Krista, thank you. Krista, thank you for coming on the pod. I really appreciate it, and my sincerest apologies for not being able to interview you in person. That's all right. Right, you ready for the first question? Uh, yeah. All right, it's great. Uh, my first question for you is, um, many people have creative outlets to um, show their wide array of talents in full. Like some people like Mr. Ruggles are musicians. Some athletes, there are some athletes out there like Isabella Coyer or Riley Holschlag from my previous interviews. However, you are an artist. What draws you to this particular creative outlet? What solace and pleasure do you draw from creating and studying works of art? Um, well, it, art draws me to it, um, mostly because I'm not really good at sports, so I can't really do that. Um, but I like being creative. I like, um, putting my mind to things that doesn't include physical activity too much, but, and I like the art community, like, um, the people in art class, they're all so, they're, everyone's unique, and um, we really build each other up because, um, where am I going with this? Like, we're, we're allowed to be creative. We're allowed to put whatever we want on paper, and everybody's all like, oh, yeah, that, that's good. I see what you're trying to do there, you know? But, That's a um, really interesting dynamic that uh, I don't think a lot of people think about when it comes to art. Art is, um, and sometimes a very thought of as very individualistic. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I like how you shed a light on how much of a community it can be. Yeah, um, we're all very supportive of each other, even if some things we try to make don't really make sense. If it's just, if it's really part of us. You know, we we don't we don't really know what's going on in inside, inside each other's heads, but once you put it on paper, it makes sense, and we're just and we critique each other, we give each other advice, and um, we help each other. It's it's nice. That's a really interesting dynamic. Like um, 
like, again, I'm going to say it again. That's actually something that I really don't think about very often when it comes to art. I don't think a lot of people do too, but I really like how you kind of convey it as a community, how mm-hmm. you build it off of each other's works, like how you openly support and critique each other um, to kind of bring out the best inner artists, I guess, in all of you. That's actually a really interesting um, way to convey that message. Mm-hmm. Um, my second question for you is um, now, if you know me, I'm not entirely artistic myself. I couldn't draw a sick horse if I had if I had to. <laughs> um, but I'm I'm a history buff, and I am very intrigued by art history and its many movements. Um, so I wanted to ask you: if there's any specific artist or art movement who inspires your work the most, or best captures your imagination? Um, I don't really have a specific artist. I you know there's the the famous like Leonardo da Vinci and Claude Monet and um, Vincent Van Gogh. Like I, I don't say they really as- inspire me. It's just their art. <laughs> it's cool. So I wanna, I wanna be creative like them. I don't wanna so much have famous works of art like them, but I wanna, I wanna work as creatively as they did. So in terms of having a specific artist that inspires me, I don't really have one, but I, it's a, just a general idea. I just want to be creative. Yeah, I see what you mean there. Um, yeah, they have a lot of free range, don't they? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, so what, what kind of um, free range would you like to have if you were to, say, have all the money and have, have the, like, the richest patron in the world to help support your art? Uh, I don't know. Um, free range. Um, I get, I don't know. I would just, I want to keep making things. I don't think I would do too much with money or fans or anything. I just want to keep making things and have, you know, payback for it. Not payback, but, you know, something good come from it. Okay, I see what you mean here. You kind of want your work, basically, you really don't care about uh, any money. You want the, uh, the work to um, inspire somebody, basically. Is that what you're trying to say? Yeah, yeah. I want to inspire people like, you know, other famous artists have. I don't care about fame too much. I just want to inspire someone. That's interesting. That's a really interesting dynamic there, I'm too. I, um... I see that a lot of artists sometimes they don't um, they don't always make work for themselves. They um, oftentimes they do it for other reasons, other people. Mm-hmm. And this is I think this is a really interesting reason why you've chosen to um, pr- to pursue um, the free range of several of like uh, famous artists like Da Vinci or Monet. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So for my next few questions, um, this is I know this is a podcast. I'm very well aware of that, but I want you to kind of talk about some of the works that I've been I've seen like you yourself have some amazing artwork that was given the privilege of um, viewing for today's interview. And I would kind of want you to talk about these pieces, like and what you, that you've created. Um, like for your first one I saw was an Eagle. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess to put it in like the most boring perspective ever. But um, is there anything interesting about this piece you want to talk about? Like how like it's medium inspiration, like what utensils are used, how long it took to make. Yeah, sure. Um, so the eagle one, it's just a, I took, a, we, everyone took a picture of the, the eagle statue outside of the school. And um, so everyone did, had different perspectives and um, it was preferred that we kind of drew it up close to focus on one thing. So I, I got one of the eagle heads and um, I used charcoal on it which I don't usually do, so I wasn't very sure of how it was going to work out. But it it isn't bad. I'm usually not super proud of my artworks, but any artist would tell you that they aren't really proud of theirs either. But everybody else in the class, they thought it was pretty good. And um, Ms. G, our teacher, even said that uh, it should be put in art shows. I'm like, okay. You say whatever you want. I don't really think it's that good. But it was interesting. It, 
I don't usually, like I said, I usually don't work with charcoal. So it helped me get a little better at that. I want to get better at that. I just don't really have charcoal at home to work with. I should probably get some. But it was interesting. I really liked working on it. Yeah, you are your own worst critic. Yes. Yeah, I, I get that a lot. Um, I, um, I'm i not necessarily an artist. I um, write in my free time. Like, I'll write, like, a, like a free-form essay or, like, a creative writing project. And <laughs> I'll always throw it away, no matter how good or bad somebody thinks it is, because I always think it's horrible. I understand that feeling. Um, yeah, you're, you're always going to be your worst critic. But in a way, if you don't let the pessimism of it get you down too much, you can kind of see that sometimes you, um, you can see where you can build off of it, where you can improve instead of seeing that this is a terrible overall. Yeah, exactly. Um, I'd say of my uh, of, the th- of the three um, pieces that you had um, said that I was able to see is the most easily interpreted of all of them that I saw. But the second one was actually really interesting too. Um, the second one, I couldn't make out any um, particular shape or pattern. Um, I saw it more of an abstract piece. Do you want to talk about this one? Yeah, sure. Um, this one we did last year. I actually forgot that we did it because school shut down. And she brought it back out. Ms. G brought it back out. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that one. I totally forgot about it. We That one was actually charcoal, too. And um, the point of it was to use, like, values and just kind of express ourselves through lines. I don't usually express myself th- through um, abstract pieces or really art in general. I just kind of draw whatever I want. And um, it was really interesting. I thought it was cool. And uh, uh, other people worked on that piece. Well, not the specific piece, but on that project. And everybody's was different. It was the same project, but people drew it differently. And I thought it was really cool how different mine was from everyone else's. But uh, I also got to work with charcoal again, which I said I don't usually get to do. So I guess I was lying. But um, it was uh, that piece was actually pretty fun. I don't mind that one too much. Yeah, um, abstractism always um, it's always really curious to me how um, how individualistic it really can be because. Since abstract art is so up for interpretation, especially up for interpretation with the artist, him or herself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's that's very what interesting. Really, that's what I really interesting to me how um, how how, how uh, individuals it can be and how no to how you really never can truly replicate an abstract piece. And I, that's something that's really um, that really appeals to me about that that um, that form of art. Mm-hmm. Um. And the next one I saw, this is my favorite one, though. Um, this was their still. I wanted you to talk a little bit about this. Um, well, this one is actually my least favorite of the three. But uh, Really? Yeah. I didn't like this one. I didn't like how it turned out. But we just took a shelf, well, like a tray of things that were around the art room. And we had to... I don't know how to explain it, but instead of drawing with um, the darkness, we drew with like light colors and we had the lights out and we just, we had to draw exactly what we saw in front of us, which is, it's difficult. And you had to stay in the same spot every day. And I don't know, I didn't really, I don't really like it just based on other people's. I didn't think mine was that good, but I like that you liked it. Uh, I don't have much to say about that one just because I really didn't like it very much. Well, if you want me to, I can tell you why I appreciated it. I appreciated it because I liked it. I liked how, since it was like, a, it looked like a negative photo. Like, you, have you ever seen like a roll of like, of photo, of, of like photograph, like from like, and it was, um, it, it'd, be, it'd be like a negative roll. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That's what it reminded me of. Uh, yeah. I liked how the contrast between the light and the dark was cut was inverse as you would normally expect it. It kind of, um, yeah, it, it kind of um, exceeded expectations in that way. Like it was, um, it subverted expectations in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, I have one more question for you, right. and um, and this is about um, the art program at school. 
um, do you believe that the art program should um, use world recognition? And if so, how would an expanded art program be more beneficial to the student body? Um, well, yeah, I definitely think the art program should get a lot more recognition, maybe a little, yeah, so much more recognition. Our, our other programs are awesome, don't get me wrong, but I just, art is very interesting, and I see people that they express themselves just through paper, and it's, it's super awesome, and if we were to get more recognition, um, I don't know. I think we would, we would, it would just inspire us to make more. We, it's not like we can exactly just play a game every year, like in football or something. And, um, with, with that recognition, we would just, we would just make more. We would be inspired to just make pieces for everyone to see. It's, it, we don't usually make art for ourselves. We make it for other people. And I think it would just, we would want to make more. Like I said, I keep repeating myself, but that's really all we would, would want to do. Okay, I see here. Um, basically, you use the expanded art program to try to get more people more comfortable with the idea of creating art for themselves. Not for, sorry, not for themselves, but create art themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, try to get more people in the program and get them to see art as an outlet more than just, I don't know, a class down the freshman hall. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I really think that we could benefit from the art program in that particular way. Um, if you can't see it right now, but I'm probably nodding my head with everything you said right there. <laughs> but, um, yeah, Chris Geisinger, I want to thank you again for coming on to the pod to give us a new perspective on the curious world of art. Yeah, no um, I also want to thank Brian Fluett for engineering and po- producing this podcast. Mr. Ruggles for hosting today's guest while I'm still in the bubble. And Mr. Daigle for sponsoring the NCHS Podcasting Club through the Soaring Rules program. Without you guys, we wouldn't be able to bring you guys this podcast every month. I'll see you all again next month with another exciting student interview. Until then, stay safe and stay positive. So there you have it, folks. That is our third episode of our Mercer County Podcasting Club. We certainly hope you enjoyed it. Please join us again next month in January 2021 when we have a brand new episode ready for you. So again, have a great holidays and most importantly, Merry Christmas and Happy New Year.